you know, there are moments that you just sense the Spirit of the Lord moving in, and we just respond to it. Um, I just have to show Tiffany the vial of oil, and she knows what's going to happen. Uh, because we're synced in the Spirit, and there was a sense for prayer at that moment. I don't know if I was alone, or if some of you also sensed it, but I felt it was the moment to come forward and claim the blessing of God. I, I will share the Word with you this morning uh, from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Now, Romans, it's a letter that Paul wrote to whom? To the Romans, okay. To, to the church in Rome. Uh, and the way these letters were written, he addressed them to one church. But as you know, there were several churches in Rome. Actually, there were dozens, if not perhaps hundreds of churches in Rome, meaning that they gathered in the homes. That's the way it was when he was writing these things. Uh, later on, it developed to what we know as today. But they were gathering in homes. So the person who delivered the letter uh, became kind of famous, became kind of popular uh, in Rome because he would be the one who would read the letter to all these congregations. Uh, later on, it happened that copies were made and then they were sent to other places. But originally... It was the same person who Paul gave the letter to, which may have been Mark, may have been Luke, may have been one of these guys. He's going, uh, uh, Agrippa maybe, um, Silas, uh, take the letter, and he would read it to these churches. So they would become kind of popular and famous because they would practice their reading abilities and their intonations and things. And guess what? It came to a point that they kind of memorized the letters because they were reading it over and over again to different groups every week. Now, you don't sit down and read the whole letter all at once. Guess what? That's the way it happened. We read a chapter a day, maybe. A verse a day? Okay, at least a verse a day. <laughs> Keeps the doctor away. But, you know, they, they would sit down and read this thing completely from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 16 of Romans. You heard the story in the book of Acts that there was a guy sitting at a window and Paul was preaching and he got extended and the guy fell off the window three stories and died. And Paul, through the power of God, was able to revive him. But this is how lengthy some of these meetings were. Um, I'm sure people had to go to work in the morning like we all do, but they didn't have an issue with the clock. So based on that, today, and because it's a rainy day, we're going to stay here the rest of the day. So listen to and for the word of the Lord as I read out of Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Or traditionally, we have heard this verse, it is through faith that the righteous shall 
live in the other more ancient versions. The word of the Lord. We are in a, in, in a series this coming month of, of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. The movement began, obviously, 500 years ago with the dissatisfaction personally of a monk, of a theologian called Martin Luther, who had other predecessors like John Huss, who never made it out of the fire, uh, but he was going to. Martin Luther was going to make it out of the fire. I don't know if you know that Luther was invited to defend his, uh, his ideas before the emperor and before the pope in two different occasions. One was in the Diet of Worms, and the other one was actually in Rome. At Worms, he came before Charles V to defend his ideas, and Charles V basically said, you got to recant because you are from hell. No, that's not what he said, but basically that's what was conveyed. you got to say, you cannot keep on saying what you're saying. And that is when Luther said the famous words, here I stand, I can do no other thing. And the idea was that for the first time in religious life, an individual is taking his or her own conscience to themselves and submitting it to God. One of the main principles of the Protestant Reformation was that each individual's conscience was only and only alone subject to God. No kingdom, no priest, no ideology, no doctrine. Only to God is our conscience to be submitted and to be subjected to. Only to God. That is a principle that if you were to study the ideas and doctrines and the way we believe in the Presbyterian Church, that is one of the principles that we have adopted in our tribe called Presbyterians. In our little group of Christians, that we call ourselves Presbyterians, just because we had to call ourselves a name, I guess, but we are Christians. But we also teach that the only person that has, that has power or authority over your conscience is God alone. Not the pastor, no matter how, how much chocolate you give him. God alone is whom you owe your allegiance to. No government, no ideology, no priest, no church, just to God alone. That principle transfers politically into what we call today democracy or the idea of, of a, a republican kind of government, the republic. Today I want to talk about faith alone. Last week we talked about grace. And, and we, we understood grace to be the gift of God of salvation. The Scripture says, for it is by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are saved. Let's look at it carefully because I think I have it here. Yeah. For it is by grace you have been saved. That means that God decided not to look at your guilt. God decided not to look at your sin. They have guilt. They have sin. You have brokenness and you're all evil. God decided not to look at any of that. And God decided to actually, the theological big word is to impute or to place on Christ all of that, what were you guys? Guilt. All of that, you guys were sin. All of that brokenness and all of that evil was placed upon Christ. And that is what grace means. We didn't deserve it. We didn't pay it. We didn't work for it. No one could. No one has enough money. 
but by God's sheer favor, by God's unlimited and unconditional love, God pours His grace upon you. Today, I want to talk about the second part of the verse because it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, the problem with this is the period that wasn't there in the original. Because then people say, oh, by faith, okay. So that means I believe. I cooperated to believe what God is telling me. Therefore, because of my faith, I am saved. Do you believe that? That's not what the Scripture says there. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. Now, notice what it says right after it. And this, what is this referring to? If we do good grammar you know, then the word this is referring to what? To the faith, okay? So I could probably read this, and this faith, right? Could I do that correctly? And this faith is not from yourselves. So God does not save you and then says, go ahead and believe if you want to. No, because God even knows that our faith, human faith, is limited. God knows that human faith is covered by limitations, fear. God knows that human faith is broken. So then what God does is God gives you the gift of faith so that you can receive the grace. So faith is a gift. It's actually God's faith. And you thought it was your faith. It's actually God's faith that allows you to receive the gift of grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Oh. So that means... That in terms of salvation, God rules and is sovereign over salvation. That means that you and I cannot add a penny, cannot add an inch, cannot add anything to what God has done in our lives. That means that God, this is why it's called sometimes reckless grace and faith. This is why it's called sometimes it's been poured on the useless, on sinless on sinful people. But that's what God does. He did not count our sins against us because He put them on Christ. So, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not of our own. It is of God. So, even the faith we have to believe is a gift of God. And it is not from ourselves because it is a gift from God. Both grace and salvation and the faith to even understand it and receive it are gifts of God. Where does that put your ego? Because if you're struggling with what I'm saying, it's because of your ego. I know that. It's okay. Displace it. Move it out. Allow the full grace of God to come in. Because really... 
when Luther was dealing with this whole idea, Luther thought that he had to behave to do all these righteous acts to be okay with God. And when he encountered that verse, that the just shall live by faith, he then begins to understand something that he did not understand ever in his life, and he changed the world by understanding. You see, he understood that if he's going to walk and believe that God has poured God's grace on him, on him, then he's going to have to believe what God says. That's why there is a big difference between believing in God and believing God. Did you get it? There is a huge qualitative difference between believing in God, accepting what God says, and the capacity in our hearts to not understand it and accept it. Sometimes it's easier to exercise our faith because we have experiences with it. And we have a little bit of understanding. But in most cases, in most cases, faith requires a walk without sight. In most cases, faith requires the removal of mountains. You see, because that is the kind of faith that is a gift from God that allowed Noah to believe that he could build a boat in dry land and the boat was going to float somehow. It is a kind of faith that allowed Abraham to believe God, and he, and he was then called the father of faith. It is a kind of faith that Isaac believed, that Jacob believed, that Joseph believed God, that Daniel, when he was thrown in the water, he decided to believe God and not the flames, that Sarah eventually believed God, that Ruth believed in the God she's heard about, that Rahab believed God, that Samuel, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, the prophets decided to believe God. Now, the question then, if they decided to believe God, how do we believe them? Later on in the book of Romans, Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Now, for Paul, how he grew in faith, for Paul, how he matured in faith, for Paul, he understood that faith was a gift, but faith had to be exercised in order for it to grow. By getting to know God, how does God work? How does God speak? How do we listen to God? By learning and listening to the stories of God's faithfulness, God's deliverance to God's people, God's provision, God's care, God's protection, God's mercy, and God's unfailing love, by listening and getting connected with those stories, what happens to your faith? It grows. That faith that God has given you begins to grow because you're hanging around the Word of the Lord. Now, when, 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 so faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and by hearing the ways of Jesus, faith comes to us when we come closer to God. Faith comes to us when we worship God together. Faith comes to us even when we are eating together in fellowship. Faith comes to us when we help our neighbor, when we help the person in need. Faith comes to us when we love and respect one another. So if faith is a gift from God and faith comes to us, the question is, 
Are you opening yourselves to receive that kind of faith? Are you seeing the opportunities that God is presenting in your life and the life of this community so that we can grow in faith? I don't know how many of you may perceive a deeper hunger for God or how many of you just think that coming in and out of church is it. But if you perceive, if you sense the deeper hunger for God in your life, that is the Spirit of God helping you to believe. Luther discovered a truth in Scripture that faith is the way we live. That not knowing everything, that being able to to get used to perhaps uncertainty and trusting God because He knows that God that He could trust. After Luther discovered this Scripture, you know what he did for the rest of his life? He wrote over 300 volumes, all of them on Scripture. He understood that his faith grew as he got closer to God through God's Word. The Gospel of John finishes at the beginning and begins at the end, meaning that typically when you read a document, a book, the purpose of the book, the author would typically put it at the beginning of the book, perhaps in the introduction, perhaps in the first chapter. You have the purpose for which he or she is writing this document. John was different. John finishes his gospel saying, but these things, and he's referring to the entire story of Jesus, resurrection, birth, death and resurrection, the miracles, but all these things are written so that you may continue to believe, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. We thank You, O God, for Your mercy. We thank You, O God, for Your Word. We thank You, O God, for the difficult themes of faith and how we need to distinguish between our limited human faith and Your faith. How your faith will take over our limited faith and make it into an amazing thing that only you can stop. Thank you for giving us the possibilities. Thank you for giving us that faith that allows us to dream and make realities things like a like transporting kids to a Christian school. Like having a summer camp where children and the families are being blessed and changed. Perhaps even, Lord, with rivers of hope, you will enlarge our faith that we can touch people through counseling and better life skills, through homelessness issues, and through education, oh God. Maybe our faith would even take us to imagine an elementary school from Monday through Thursdays downstairs, oh my God. Maybe your faith will give us the peace to imagine it and see this congregation grow for your glory only and so that this community can find a home 
where they are not judged, where they're not persecuted, where they can just come and be themselves and experience the love, the acceptance of Christ. And to acknowledge that you love us so that you don't want just to leave us the way we are, but that you want us to change, to be transformed, to be conformed to the image of your Son, Christ, who is our Lord, and it's in whose name we pray. Amen.